C'è la luna mezza mare, mamma mia, mamma redare. Welcome everybody and welcome to Hollywood Godfather Podcast. And in the house, Pat, Megan, and we have a very special guest that Pat became mutually acquainted with over the years through books and now personally, and uh, he's going to introduce him. Well, good evening, everybody. Uh, nice to be here. We have the honor and the privilege tonight uh, having on our show Mr. Mark Shaw, the uh, author of 30 books. Now, I thought I was prolific. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think I've read 30 books. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I read two books in my life. <laughs> hey, but this guy's written 30 books. Uh, uh, one of his areas of expertise, and he has quite a few, is the John F. Kennedy assassination. Now, uh, we connected with Mark uh, uh, due to the fact that our book, Gianni, uh, has a lot of crossover areas with uh, uh, several of uh, Mark's books we will be talking about. Now, uh, this interview will span two shows. Uh, The first one, obviously, is this evening. And at the end of the first show, we will talk about uh, what's going to be on the second show. So, I have the great privilege of introducing Mr. Mark Shaw. Mark, how are you doing? Hey, I'm great. Thank you, Mark. Mark, Mark. Perfect. Can, okay, can everybody hear each other here? I think Mark needs to speak a little louder into his phone. All right, how's that? Is that better? Yes. Yes, that, that's Perfect. better. All right, uh, to, start, to start off, you know, our, our audience uh, uh, is uh, very up on uh, or interested in the underworld, the mafia, uh, we've discussed the Kennedy assassination because that's, uh, uh, we discussed it in, in our book. Uh, could you give us a little bit about your background pertaining to those two subjects, the mob and the assassination? Well, um, I've looked at the JFK assassination when I first became interested in it. I think like nobody else ever has. I think I've looked at the JFK assassination differently than anyone has. I'm a former criminal defense lawyer. I always looked at motive when I was defending people, because that's what prosecutors are looking at. And then when I, you know, when I analyzed, uh, you know, the Mike Tyson trial or the O.J. case or Kobe Bryant or whatever, I was always looking at motive. And uh, actually, I was never really interested in the JFK assassination until I landed uh, on a, a incredible, um, you know, piece of gold. Really, when I found out about Dorothy Kilgallen, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But I practiced law in uh, the 1980s in the building where Melvin Belli was. And uh, Belli, uh, I knew pretty well. We became friends. He took me to the baseball all-star game and all of that. But um, I decided when he died in 1996, I would write a biography of him because he had written two autobiographies and they conflicted. (laughs) So (laughs) I thought I ought to try to find out what the truth was. Well, uh, what I learned about Belli was that he was really a mafia wannabe. And uh, he loved to talk about I the I know mafia. him well. I knew him well. <laughs> well, you'll have to tell me then about that. But he liked to brag that he was a member of the San Mateo County, um, uh, you know, mafia. Uh, he hung out. I uh, My research showed in Las Vegas with mafia characters. And um, really, his main client, although he was known as a, a tort lawyer, as you know, uh, Gianni, he, he, you know, dabbled in criminal work. And uh, while he 
represented, you know, the Rolling Stones and Tammy Faye Baker and all these people. His main client was Mickey Cohen. I know that well. All right, the Las, Las Vegas uh, gangster. And when I learned about that, it made me start thinking about his representation of Jack Ruby. Uh, I think everyone who, who really has looked into the uh, assassinations had to wonder why Belli became Ruby's lawyer. And so I started looking into that and found out that it really traveled a road right through Mickey Cohen. Uh, in fact, a lot of people don't know this, that prior to the Ruby trial, Belli and Cohen had actually appeared before the same judge who handled uh, the Ruby trial, Joe uh, Brown. And that happened because uh, Mickey Cohen fell in love with a stripper uh, from Dallas named Candy Barr. Yeah, that's and, original. Uh, <laughs> and, and, she, and she worked for us in the Dallas clubs. All right. Because Mickey not... and Frank Costello had, and, and uh, Tony Accardo had all uh -huh. the slot machines in Dallas, and they sent they sent Ruby out there. And yeah, I and and but she had he had represented uh, Candy Barr got in trouble in in Texas for marijuana possession. Uh, Bill Alexander, who was the really the main prosecutor of Ruby, and I was able to interview uh, Bill several times for the first book and the second one, the the, the Poison Patriarch. He um, he prosecuted Candy Barr. She got about twenty years for a small amount of marijuana, and along came Mickey Cohen, who was going to marry her, and brought Melvin Belli into that case. So all of that made me start wondering about his representation of Jack Ruby, and that's what got me started interested in the assassination itself. Wow. So how did you first, uh, what was the first thing you did? I mean, you, I'm, I'm, I'm currently uh, reading your book, which you were kind enough to send me, Denial of Justice. Uh -huh. This is, in, I mean, I, I'm a writer. I've been writing for years. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, I, I know good research when I see it. This is uh, an in-depth, uh, full mm -hmm. dive uh, in, in, into the subject. I mean, how did, what was the first thing you did? Uh, what made you d decide to go into the uh, assassination? And what right. was the first thing you looked into vis-a-vis uh, -vis the mafia? Well, the first thing I want to do is return the compliment because Hollywood Godfather, that's what impressed me about it when I read it, the, the research that you guys did and the primary source, Gianni. Uh, you know, I, I always try to use primary sources in my books. I don't like speculation. And so I was really amazed to learn uh, what Gianni was talking about, because much of it crossed uh, paths with the things I had discovered. Uh, the real break in the uh, situation with regard to looking into the assassinations more came when I interviewed one of Belli's uh, friends down in San Diego. And uh, he was a doctor, and we talked about Belli's affection for the mafia and how much he loved them and they loved him, and he liked to play being a mafioso and all this. And then at the end of the conversation, he said, and you know, Belli knew Dorothy Kilgallen. And I said, well, what? You know, she, he was on What's My Line. He said, oh, Mark, you don't know anything about her. Uh, she was syndicated to 200 newspapers across the country. She covered the uh, Lindbergh baby kidnapping case, the Dr. Sam Shepard case. She had a radio program. She was an amazing person. And, and you know what? When, when she died, Belli said to me, They've killed Dorothy. Now they'll go after Jack Ruby. They've killed Dorothy. Now they'll go after Jack Ruby. And so I started looking at the assassination a different way. 
I looked at it like why Bobby Kennedy wasn't killed instead of why Jack Kennedy was. And if you do that, it changes everything. And that led me on a trail to going back through how, how Bell I became Jack Ruby's lawyer. And with that comment in mind, I kept watching the whole situation, um, you know, bending back to the 1960 election, which I'm sure all of you know about, Gianni knows about, where Joe Kennedy knew they were going to lose Illinois and West Virginia. And through Frank Sinatra, he called in his mafia friends, Giancana, Marcello, these others, to say, look, we need to win Illinois and West Virginia. And if you help us, and I have somebody who was right there when that happened, a primary source, if you help us when we get in the White House, we'll leave you guys alone. Well, uh, the mafio, uh, mafioso helped them win those two um, election, win, win those two states. They won the election. And then what was the first thing that Joe Kennedy did? And I, I think you remember right at the top of the book there, it talks about that I had a primary source witness, John Sigenthaler, who was a Kennedy confidant, who was right there the night that Joe Kennedy ordered JFK to appoint Bobby attorney general. I know. And he went after all of those guys, especially Marcello. He deported him right away, charged him with racketeering. He went after all those guys. And as you guys know, specifically Gianni, you can't mess around with them. And I'll tell you a little story in a little while, if you want to hear it, of a, a personal experience that I had showing how you can't mess around with those people when I worked for Good Morning America. Well, well you, know, you know, it's interesting. Uh, when I... I my last task before the, the final primary, before Lyndon Bain Johnson made the announcement as his running mate, I mm -hmm. flew into Dallas and Ruby took me to Austin, Texas, and I had three million in cash in a suitcase for uh, him to become, for Lyndon Bain Johnson to become his running mate. That was a really payoff. Wow. Went to Austin, huh? And took they the took money me to there. Austin to his his farm. I didn't know where I was going. I just took a, a flight to Dallas. Somebody picked me up. Sure enough, the and the, the escalator, there was a guy who I knew his name, and he had a sign, the kid. So I knew he was there for me. <laughs> and I had yeah, three, had three million in cash. Yeah, you were known as the kid until you were sixty, right? No, no, right after the <laughs> Godfather. <laughs> In certain circles, I'm still called the kid. <laughs> All right. Uh, so uh, uh, why don't you answer your own question then? Uh, why was it JFK and not RFK that, that got shot? Well, as Bill Alexander told me, you know, uh, he, he was surprised when JFK was shot because he thought it would be Bobby Kennedy. And, you know, Bobby Kennedy, when he first learned about JFK's death, said, you know, I thought it would be one of us. I thought it would be me. Because, you know, uh, Joe double-crossed the, the mafioso when he, when he appointed Bobby attorney general, and then Bobby went after those guys, and you just can't do that. And so well, he didn't know Bobby would be that way. First of all, Bobby had it—we we, we tried to go, go over it smoothly. He wanted mm -hmm. his next son, being Bobby, to follow in after Linda Bain Johnson. Linda Bain Johnson was getting the next four, eight years if Kennedy lived. That was the deal they made. And by that time, Bobby be ready to go there. Mm -hmm. After John, f falsely in front of many of us, even at, when he didn't show up at Calneva that night, and and Bobby 
and his father did. Joe was in a wheelchair already because he had a stroke. Because I, right. I brought a message to them that they're going to, I didn't know what was in the message. I found out later, we're going to start killing off your sons because not only were they supposed wow. to lay off the mob, they were supposed to invade Cuba and get the casinos back for them. That's yeah. why Maya and Santo Traficante, I can name every guy that was involved in getting him elected. The Teamsters, the culinary unions, everybody was involved, international longshoremen. And, wow. when, and when John went, shook hands, shook hands with certain people, mm -hmm. they, they would never trust him again because they felt he didn't have any balls if he couldn't control his own younger brother. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. why that, why John and not Bobby? That's why. Well, what, Once the you reason, give your word yeah. to the mob guys, yeah. they don't trust yeah. you no more. In fact, yeah. Sinatra expanded his house two or 300,000 just to, to service his secret servicemen. And Bobby talked him out of going to the house, which was the biggest wow. slap in the face because Ocado and they were supposed to play golf. I mean, I know more about that going on. Yeah. Would, would you agree that, uh, that this made sense? Marcelo, Marcelo was the one whose back was really to the wall because uh, Bobby had gone after him. He deported him. He was going to deport him again. He was in a racketeering uh, case in uh, in uh, in uh, New Orleans, uh, just in fact uh, close to when JFK was killed. So Marcelo, in my opinion, at least looking at motive and revenge and all of that, decided, look, if I kill Bobby Kennedy, Jack Kennedy will come after me with everything the government has. But if I kill Jack Kennedy, Bobby Kennedy will be powerless. And you know that's exactly what happened. Exactly. And not only that, he, he would get never the went after them, and he and he resigned as attorney general. Does that make sense to you? It definitely he, yeah. makes sense to me. You know, it's ironic. I was at the barbecue. I used to go to Marcelo's house a lot. I, I got to know his kids, and I was at the barbecue he had every Sunday, when. Bobby raided, and Bobby was at the raid. Oh. And they put him in handcuffs. Marcelo. And and yes. And, and Bobby, uh, Marcelo said to Bobby, you're a dead man. So he called the press over because they were all there. He let everybody know what was going on. He said, you're threatening an attorney general? He said, no, I'm not threatening you. I'm going to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at that point, what did he have to lose? Yeah, where's he going? Yeah. Well, he came right back anyway. Yeah, he was back in the country yeah. in thirty days. Yeah, he was, but they were going after him again. Oh yeah, and no, it's huge. So, I don't think he really had any choice. And you can't screw around with those guys. No. I mean, um, I, I, you know, and and I I found it very interesting, if I may say so, that you in your book talk about uh, seeing uh, Lee Harvey Oswald at the restaurant, uh, Moscone, that was whatever on a Tuesday night. Yeah, yeah, uh, because I in I, I don't know if. Uh, if uh, Patrick is this far in the book or not, but I found a witness down in uh, in New Orleans through an author that uh, had uh, had also seen uh, Marcelo, seen Oswald with Marcelo. In fact, he said he saw Ruby down there as well. But I thought you'd be interested to know. I, I think this is a very credible witness, and he not that you need it, but he really backs up your your. You know, it was uh, so interesting that that we, the four of us are talking about this. Pat said to me when he was, I, we, he started the first research, he said, there was no way uh, Lee Harvey Oswald was in Texas on Tuesday night. I said, I saw him there. Remember that, yeah. Pat? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back when we first started talking about this. Right. Because, you know, I, I, I don't have to tell Mark. I mean, everything that, that you put in a, in a book gets vetted and then re-vetted 
So I said, you know, we, we have to we have to make sure that he wasn't working in the Texas School Book Depository that day before we mm-hmm. put this in the book. Mm-hmm. And that and that's the way it worked out. Yeah. Yeah. No, he yeah. was what, there Tuesday night. Yeah. And uh, and and the money I brought down went right to him. That's wow. what it was about. I brought fifty thousand down. Wow. Wow. Carrying that kind of money around, I can't even imagine what it must have been like in three million. Yeah, yeah, particularly, well, how, how old were you then, Johnny? Uh, twenty twenty one. Okay. Yeah. My goodness. But I was carrying that kind of money all the time after a while. Well, Costello was so protective of me. I don't know, Mark, if if, if you heard about the list. There were 74 people on the list that once this went down, the four main guys put a list together. Anybody that knew. And Costello knew I was on the list. Oh. And that's why he made me go out. See, most lay people wouldn't understand that's why he made me a merchant marine, because I didn't need my passport. He got me on the ship as a hairdresser on the Independence that morning when we left, November 22nd. So there's no uh, signing uh, me out of the country. When yeah, you, I, when you sign was, as a yeah. merchant marine, you're an enigma. Uh, and then Mark, I got, then I got, you know, when I got to Barcelona, I was gone for 22 months till he told me to yeah, come I back. Yeah, I saw that. That was a nice, uh, nice vacation for you. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It wasn't so nice when you knew you were in the crime of the world and indirectly or directly. I didn't know what was going to happen, to be honest with you. That's the other thing I like about the book so much. You, you, I like the way you guys, I feel like I'm right there on that ship when the television shows that Kennedy's been shot and all of that. I mean, I really like that about the book, the emotion and everything. Do you know about the connection um, between Costello and Dorothy Kilgallen? Or should we wait until the second half for that? Yeah, we should I th- get that. Yeah, let's save that for the... Okay. Yeah, I, I think we should wait for the we'll second show because big, that's that, that's, a, a that's a show. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, well, that's a show uh, uh, unto oh, itself. Oh my God! Yeah, okay. uh, there's so many connections uh, in, between well, our book and yours. Yeah. Let me go back. Our, to, let me go back to Belli for a minute because yeah, this was sure. interesting too. Uh, I'd always wondered exactly how he ended up in in um, as Ruby's lawyer. And I was able to find his associate, Seymour Ellison, who's finally passed away. But he was telling me that the call for Belli to represent Ruby came from Las Vegas. Right. Which makes sense because that's where Belli was spending a lot of time and all of that. And it was through Cohen and everything else. And, you know, there's been a lot of conjecture as to how it really happened. But basically, I always felt like that Belli was recruited. Uh, first of all, you had uh, the, the killing of JFK. Then Oswald was caught. Well, now you got to shut him up. So who's going to shut him up? Well, Ruby is. And then who you going to? Sh- how are you going to shut up Ruby? Well, I always felt like that had to be Melvin Belli. And so I was able to find a witness who really, um, you know, helped with that theory because it was a friend of his who had lunch with him on the day that uh, Oswald was shot. And he said a waiter came over to the table and said, listen, uh, boy, you'll never believe it. Lee Harvey Oswald has been shot. And Belli... This guy said, and I, I feel like it was credible, said, well, now I'll have to defend Jack Ruby. So I think Belli was kind of on, on standby. I think he yep. knew what was going on. And then, of course, you know, I always question, being a defense lawyer, I always questioned his defense of Ruby because what did he do? First of all, he made him look crazy with that ludicrous insanity defense that made right. no sense to anybody. And second he would not let Ruby testify. So he really buttoned up 
that that loose end uh, of Ruby, and that all made sense to me. Does that does that theory? Follow oh no, that's well? I, I know that's fact, not even a theory, because what most of the audience don't know, uh, Nikki Cohen and I were very close at a young age. Oh, oh. very close. In fact, uh, I impregnated his daughter, which I thought I'd get killed for. Oh, for heavens! And he told me, yeah, what? Well, I didn't know what he was going to say. Sorry. I kept this saying, is going to be it's going to be headlines in tomorrow's New York Post. Yeah, I'm it convinced. Is. <laughs> no, yeah, we don't have so it doing that. It was so funny because I kept telling him that night. I said, "I got to see you at the end of the night." They always used to have Chinese food at the Sands Hotel in the coffee shop. They brought the best Chinese chef in. So I go to the table. I said, "I got to talk to you." So well, sit down and talk. I said, "I can't talk in front of all these guys." We're sitting there. So I go over and I sit. And I, we go on the other side of the, 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 the coffee shop, and I said, "Your daughter's pregnant." And he says to me, "Why are you telling me this?" <laughs> and then he looked at me. He said, "I thought he was going to kill me." I, I, I'm, yeah, I'm, that's who I am. You know, I, I got to tell myself. You're not going to believe what he tells me. What did he say? He said, "All right, only thing I want you to do, if it's a boy, you got to raise him Jewish." And uh -huh. the other thing you got to do is don't marry her. She's a spoiled bitch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Wow. Oh, yeah. That's We're going to be in the paper tomorrow. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> that, that one I wouldn't have a guess. Yes, I guess you were pretty close friends. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really close. Absolutely. Do you, do you remember the name Angelo Bruno? Of course. Angelo Bruno. May, may I tell you my quick story? Yeah. That's what you're here for. All right. Well, um, you know, I, you know, Nikki Scarfo too. <laughs> no, I don't know that name, okay. but here's what I do know. Um, I was a criminal defense lawyer. Then I, I left that. I'd had enough of it. I moved to Colorado. Claudine Langer shot her uh, lover, Spider Savage. Effie Bailey, who I'd tried a couple cases with, suggested that I cover that case for Good Morning America, and that's how I ended up on that show. Oh wow! So they call me one day and they say, "I want you to go to Philadelphia, Mark." and interview Angelo Bruno's lawyer about them infiltrating Atlantic City. Yeah, and I but, said, well, sure, but you sure the lawyer will talk to us? They said, yeah, he said that he will. So I went to Philadelphia, and I don't remember the guy's name, but I sat down with him and a crew, and we interviewed this guy for about a half hour. And I was pretty amazed at some of the things he said to me. So uh, David Hartman and Sandy Hill were the hosts of Good Morning America then. And they played that the next morning. And it was a huge story, huge hit. Oh, yeah. And they called me before I left Philadelphia and said, Mark, do you think he'll talk to you again? You better get out of there. <laughs> so I said, sure, I will. So I called the office and this woman answered and I could tell there was something a little shaky. And finally, I said, look, are you OK? And she said, well, Mr. Shaw, I guess you don't know. Uh, they blew him up in his car this morning. Yep. That's a true story. I know oh his daughter. And what? I got out of there as fast as I could. <laughs> That's that. what I was just going to say, because a lot of people don't know the Gambinos and Bruno became partners. When oh, they were they building, did. when they were building Atlantic City, they had to use Angelo Bruno just because of the proximity. Uh -huh. most, pe most people don't know, only if you're in this business, concrete ready mix can't travel long. <laughs> And that's how this all started. But yeah, every, I guess I didn't know that. No. Every square foot of concrete that went into was through Angelo Bruno and the Gambino. <laughs>
You couldn't go in. The unions, they controlled it, the whole thing. Uh huh. Well, I, I, I'd like you guys, if, if I'm going to uh, moderate this, uh, this conversation, I'd like you guys to get together on what you both know about Cal Neva. Okay. Okay. Mark, you first. Well, uh, first of all, I, I always knew, you know, again, I went back to Joe Kennedy. The second book I wrote was called The Poison Patriarch, how the betrayals of Joseph P. Kennedy led to the assassination of John F. Kennedy. And in there, I showed all about Joe's background, his, uh, you know, his, his uh, loving Adolf Hitler, all the things he wanted to do. He wanted to be president. When he came back to the U.S., he couldn't. And so he had set it up, in my opinion, for John to be president, then Bobby. Yeah. Maybe they were going to get rid of J, uh, LBJ. And right. then Ted, he thought there could be a dynasty. So yeah. I always looked at him and being in the background and everything as to what was going on. He was and it was my opinion that he was orchestrating everything, you know, that was happening, fixing the election and all of that, and appointing Bobby attorney general and everything. Well, everything was going on along just fine until Marilyn came along. And whatever happened, she got involved in that nasty nest of the Kennedys, the, the curse of the Kennedys. And she ended up with JFK and singing happy birthday and all of that. And then Joe said, hey, no more of this. And well, so you know, Bob what, you, know what, you know what Jackie did that next morning at, at the primary when she sang happy birthday two months before his birthday, even. Yeah. Jackie called her father-in-law and said, I'm done. I'm, I'm uh -huh. pulling out. And I think uh -huh. she was pregnant with Carolyn. Oh. And he said, you can't do this now because she didn't know all the promises he made. So uh -huh. she said, I'll stay. I want a million dollars a year, and I'll never sleep with him again. No kidding. And that's the deal wow. she made. Yeah, I can, I can see how that would have happened. Uh, she had to have known about this. I mean, obviously, the world knew about happy it. birthday at Madison Square Garden in yeah. that dress. You know, so to get back to Patrick's thoughts, and then I want yours. Um, so what I figured was that, that there had to be some way of trying to, to silence Marilyn. And where she made her mistake... And I'll just mention briefly, because there is a lot of similarities with her death with Dorothy Kilgallen that we'll talk about. But one of them was that Marilyn had a big mouth. And, right. and as you say, uh, I, I believe I've confirmed, uh, there was the Buddy Greco. You know that name. But Buddy was at the pool. With us. And he was there. And I don't know. I have all the pictures. Okay. Have you seen his version of what happened at Cal Neva? I, I, Buddy Greco's a, a saloon singer. I wouldn't, I wouldn't well, read nothing about this guy. He, he well, I'm just, uh, well, I think you'll be okay with this. He basically backs up everything you say in your book. Oh, yeah. His, account, his account does. It says who was there, what they were going to do, how they were going to use Marilyn and all of this. And finally, um, you know, she had enough of that. She, she allegedly called Joe DiMaggio to come get her, and he, he didn't do that. And well, that's, Joe, when she made that, that's when she made that statement. Well, Joe with, called you, Frank. He said, what's I going think, on there? She wants me because he was in, in San Francisco. And Frank yeah, said, mind right. your own business. Because if this didn't work, they were going to kill Frank. Well, that, that could very well have been. And so, you know, uh, Marilyn said, you know, look, I'm, I'm going to go to the media. I'm going to tell them about the love affairs. I'm going to tell them about a lot of things and everything. And really, I think, you know, that sealed her fate. Um, you but know, Mark, the Kennedys you... could handle... They thought the mafia and everybody else in the world, but they couldn't handle a 36-year-old woman who was about to expose 
these affairs, which what would not only have caused problems with Joe's uh, dynasty idea, but it also Ken, uh, Ted, I think, was running for office at the time. I mean, it was it would have blown away everything, everything. that Joe had in mind. Agreed? Would you uh, agree with that? Yeah, but Mark, did you hear that she aborted Bobby's baby? No, I did not. Well, when no. she went when he went to slow her down because, unbeknownst to everybody. John said, when I become president, I'll leave Jackie and marry you. That's how naive she was. Mm -hmm. So the mm -hmm. brother had to take control of this. As mm -hmm. he's consoling her, he impregnated her. Wow. A lot of that going around. And he convinced, mm -hmm. it. He, he convinced her to abort it. Thus all our careers are ruined. And that's when she was screaming that night. Sinatra had one more shot to get her in the room. Uh -huh. And she started screaming. She said, I'm done with these kids. They're they lying Catholics. I'm going to the press. I'll ruin the president. I'll ruin the attorney general. I'm done. And when uh -huh. she did that, I just left, flew to New York, because I knew Bobby was going to kill her. Well, she, she sealed her own fate, basically. Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, with her mouth. As Mark said, she talked too much. Yeah. She, she should have kept it to herself. And she yeah. would change the course of history. She was too emotional. She was like a, a child, this girl. I've known her. I was with her for four and a half years by then. I mean, what, I, what I'm trying to do in the, in the new book, which will compare the deaths of Dorothy uh, Kilgallen, Marilyn Monroe, and JFK, I want to show the human side of these people. Because, you know, Marilyn's uh, upbringing uh, and all the things that went on with men and using her and, oh and all these other things, you know, that came to a to a climax, really, when, when she got involved with the Kennedys. And yeah. she really did believe, I think you're right, uh, Gianni, she believed that JFK, when he was elected president, was going to dump Jackie and marry her. Yeah. And all of that. And, and after he was president, he was going to do that. And and she just couldn't take it. I mean, it, it would have just made her feel like a fool. I think she said at one particular point, I feel like meat that they're just throwing around. And, and, and they just couldn't do that. I also want to mention, do you know um, about this alibi that Bobby supposedly had with regard to being in Northern California, up by where I live, supposedly down in Santa Cruz at a ranch and everything, and that he never left that weekend and never came down to Los Angeles uh, regarding uh, seeing uh, uh, Marilyn or anything. Well, I've broken that wide open. Because I broke that up. You know who I broke that up in one night? Myself? Because, yeah. as, as you knew, his Secret Service had to tell the local police where he's going. Uh huh. And guess uh -huh. who gave him up? Sheriff Bucker. Remember uh -huh. Bucker in Beverly Hills? Oh no, I didn't know that. He gave me my concealed weapons permit. He <laughs> never got in touch with them because Secret Service only had to go to the police department. Uh huh. But the sheriff said he was in the vicinity of a house. The last two phone calls were from him. Yeah, there's there's a couple uh, other. There's a policeman who stopped the limousine. There's the guy who becomes chief of police. What was his name in in, uh, in the LAPD? And, and I got his book, and he talks about knowing that Bobby and Peter Lawford were at the uh, Beverly Hills Hotel and all of that. So that alibi was a bunch of junk. That's right. And whether he actually went to Maryland's house or not, I don't know. He, but no, he, uh, somewhere he, or another, they orchestrated this. Well, they orchestrated it with, with, the, with the doctor. Yeah, and you you say in your book using the air, the CO two and yeah. the pelvic area and all of that. Yeah. That makes sense because they 
they didn't find any, uh, you know, injection uh, places and well, things they, like they that. Did, they so. did it in the fiopian organ, in the crotch, through the through yeah. the cares. And, and, and the, the autopsy on Dorothy Kilgallen, they said the same thing about the barbiturates and all that. Well, those two ladies partied, man. They always had that much in their system. <laughs> yeah. Uh, did I guess I want to ask you before I forget. Uh, well, we'll get we'll do that in the next segment. Right. About uh, Dorothy, but uh, yeah, all that all that makes sense. You know, I've really tried, and and I like it in your book as well, to use some common sense with regard to this whole situation because so many people want to know about well, where did the bullet come from that shot JFK or all this extraneous stuff. And they get so involved in that. Johnny Roselli's gun in the storm sewer, his rifle. <laughs> there you go. And and Dorothy basically said, uh, this was a mob hit. Yep. This was a mob hit. And, you know, she went to, by the way, she went to New Orleans. I don't know if you know. Well, we'll talk about it in the next segment yeah. with, uh, with Dorothy. But, you know, she thought it was a mob hit. Uh, and and it, people, if they use the common sense, I think Patrick knows, and I think in my email to you I said, some way or another, my presentation on denial of justice in Dallas last November went viral in 10 days, going from 10,000 views to 600,000 views. Yeah. And basically, that the comments that I got and all the emails got, I got were this. That makes common sense. And that's what I like about what you, you deliver in the book, because it, it all makes common sense in well, terms of how you met Marilyn and everything. <laughs> I just gave Pat the facts. He constructed the common sense and everything else. <laughs> I see. So he made that up. I see. He made that up. That's fiction. I see. Uh, well, I, I tell you, you're so interesting. We could do a month with you. And uh, we're going to have to go to Mailbag, and then we'll and do the next show. Fine. Fine. All right. Good. All right. Thank Stand you. by, Mark, okay? I will. All right. Yeah, well, Mark, none of these questions. Open and do what you got to do. We'll be 10 or 15 minutes. Yeah, oh, sorry right. these Just questions don't necessarily right. apply to you, but hope you enjoy them too. Oh, no, absolutely. <laughs> oh, is it, some of them apply to him? Oh, perfect. No, I said I'm sorry they don't, oh, but oh, oh, yeah. I'm yeah, he yeah. still enjoys the answers. Yeah, right. please, go ahead. All right, are we ready for it? Yes, please. Yes, ma'am. Okay, first one is a message I want to share from Ethan. Ethan says, Johnny, Pat, and Megan, your podcast is utterly enthralling and magnetic. The chemistry between you all, the mind-boggling stories, and incredible delivery of those stories make for a podcast that leaves you craving more. I was sad when I finally caught up after listening from episode one because now I have to wait each week to hear the next episode. My question, Gianni, could you tell us some more stories about the entrepreneurial side of your journey? Interesting deals, notable events, unique businesses you were in, business lessons you would learn from your experiences with the mafia, etc. Cheers to you all. May success continue to fall upon you. Gee, that's another show. That's great, yeah. You think? Perfect. Yeah. Maybe we well, have to do this nightly. <laughs> <laughs> well, th there are things that we didn't put in the book or didn't expound upon. Your uh, wig business, the jewelry business. Oh, Go on. Well, why, don't you, why don't you tell that uh, yeah. listener about that? Well, no, we'll talk about it another time. That's, uh, that's like you said, it's another whole show. I mean, I mean, my vitamin business, my health clubs, I was in all these things. I had too much money. I had to put it somewhere. <laughs> well, Jay, I, you have a lot of problems, Johnny. You know? I know. Too much, <laughs> too much money. I mean, how do you how do you exist every day? How do you how do you deal with with the sun coming up? I don't understand. Well, it's believe me, it's a, it's a, it's a chore. It's a chore not having money, and it's a chore having too much money because you can't expose it because they're waiting for me to expose and come and arrest me after all these years. <laughs> well, if they weren't, they are now. They always yeah are. right. <laughs> <laughs> Next. 
All right. Next one is a little comment I received from someone named Jamie. Jamie just says, I have a terrible job. And the only thing that gets me through the day is listening to your great podcast. Keep up the good work. Wow. Okay. <laughs> that says it all, that was right? It. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. All right. Next one is from Joni. Gianni. Joni says, I love mob stuff and I love the Real Housewives of New Jersey. One of the ladies on the show is married to a Manzo. They touch briefly on Tiny Manzo. Was he connected and do you know how he really died? No, I know nothing about New Jersey. I was, I was already way out of that. After the Kennedy assassination, my, my association went worldwide, fortunately. And uh, I, I didn't want to be around here at that time. I left New York hmm. early on. Nobody knows that. So you don't know anything about the Manzos? No, I know about the Manzos, but I'm not going to talk about them. <laughs> All right. That's why I'm alive. <laughs> <laughs> sure, you know, you know when to keep your mouth shut. All right, next one is from Casey. Casey says, Gianni, here in Portland, Oregon, we used to have a man who ran our rackets named Al Winter. He went on to help create the Sahara in Vegas. Did you ever hear of him or cross paths? I knew about him, yeah. Well, we had to know who was coming in. And he... And he he was involved with another guy out of Cal, uh, Cal California. He was um, Belden Cattleman. Belden Cattleman opened the property across the street. In fact, he was one of the first guys with Bugsy Siegel. When Bugsy Siegel did the Flamingo, he opened the um, El Rancho right across the street from the Sahara. So he was bringing a lot of finance people from you know the, that area of California, San Francisco. Legitimate people, we call them. <laughs> mm, right. All right. Next one is from Antonio. Antonio says, hi, guys. Love the podcast. I just wanted to ask Patrick if he or his colleagues had ever had any dealings with Judge Falcone from Palermo. I understand he visited the U.S. before his assassination to work with authorities about defending organized crime. Or, I'm sorry, defeating organized crime, rather. Did Gianni ever meet Toto Reina, who was responsible for that assassination? Yeah. Totoria. It's R I I N A. No, he got it wrong. Gianni got it right. No, no, I'm not. Really? I don't know. I don't know. All right, what? I don't know anything about that. Thank you. (laughs) No, no, I'm I'm not familiar with that. In 1947, when they were clamping down on Cosa Nostra, my great uncle was hung in Palermo by those people. (laughs) All right. There are too many parking tickets. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Next one is from Nick. Nick says his grandfather was Willie Messino and is wondering if you knew him and if so, if you had any stories. No, no. no. I, I never even heard of the name. You know, it's, it, it, he, he could have been anywhere and done anything. You know, the interesting thing I find yeah. ever since The Godfather and then the being followed up by The Sopranos. There's more wannabes in this world now, and they put, give themselves nicknames just to impress the people, which I can understand it because women are infatuated by that gray area of life being in the mob. There's so many mobsters. I mean, they're all going to get indicted because everything's electronic today. They're going to come. You know, that, that, funny you should bring that up because uh, I've come to realize that I have never met a Jewish guy that hasn't been involved with the Mossad. Okay, yeah, I will Ever, ever. Mm. You know, they always give you a wink, you know. Yeah. Uh, you, yeah. you don't know who I'm with. I, I, was, I was with the Mossad. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> they must have some huge organization, you know. It's amazing. 
Amazing. Well, Gianni, this guy, Nick, had written a pretty lengthy message describing who his grandfather was, who, was, who he was connected to. So I'll forward that to you and see if it rings a bell. But okay, that you. was his basic question in the end. Um, all right. Next one is from Jerry. Jerry says, love your podcast and your great banter between you guys. I was wondering if you had any knowledge of Johnny Stompanato and Lana Turner. Keep it up and can't wait to see you in California. Johnny Stompanato was a, a guy around Johnny Roselli and all them. And he was dating them. And I think Lana's daughter shot him. Yeah. Uh, uh, no, stabbed him. His name was, him. Uh, her name was Cheryl. Yeah. Lana's daughter stabbed him? Yeah, yeah stabbed him to death. Stabbed Why was that? And I she think was she didn't off. do it. I think Alana did it, and the daughter took the blame. That's a possibility, but she did take the blame. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, they also didn't share the same last name. It was Cheryl uh, Cheryl Crane? That yeah, was Cheryl her. Crane. Hmm. Yeah. Does anybody know the reason stuff. why? Yeah. Uh, he uh, Stumpanato was a violent guy. They said that uh, he uh, he would uh, smack Lana Turner around. Yeah. Oh. And uh, uh, Cheryl never liked him. There was a big blow up in the house, alcohol involved, and she stabbed him to death. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That I don't know if she quite... did any time, though, Johnny. Do you know if she did any time? I, I think she or, did. or did they do a self-defense thing? No, no. They, I think they put her in a uh, – the deal was they put her away for three years in an insane asylum. Yeah, yeah. She's still around. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah Cheryl Crane, C-R-A-N-E, if yeah. anybody wants yeah. to look it up. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. All right. So next one is from CJ. CJ. CJ says, love the book. Do any of you have any stories or information on the Buffalino crime family? More specifically, the Pittston or Hazleton, PA area. I read, I read and research a lot of mafia history. It would be awesome to sit down and pick your brain, Gianni. You guys should pick fans to guest appear on the show. <laughs> sure, and we'll get indicted. <laughs> All of us really? together. <laughs> the All these questions have no answers. Oh no! Well, I, I have a, I have a partial answer to that. I mean, I live in Western Pennsylvania. Right. Right south of Pittsburgh. And I know that after uh, Buffalino died, who was uh, headquartered mostly in Harrisburg, who ran organized crime for the entire state, when he died, organized crime see. died with him. And it, uh, now organized crime in Western PA is called disorganized crime. Hello. But you can do anything you, you, you literally want to do. I think we discussed this on, uh, on a podcast a while ago. But uh, the difference, you know, I can cite the difference between the way organized crime is supposed to work and the way it doesn't work around here. If you want to put slot machines in bars or, or jukeboxes or joker poker machines in New York, you need permission, you need sit-downs, you, you need to know the rules. Here, you want to do it, you do it on your own, nobody bothers you. That's mm. amazing to me. Yeah, there's no, uh, organized crime has no force, there's no prestige, if they still even exist, and I've been here a while, and there literally is no organized crime west of Harrisburg. After Buffalino died. Yeah. So that's the end of it, son. There's no organized crime after Buffalino. And there's <laughs> no Santa Claus either, by the way. In case you're, <laughs> you're kidding me. You're no, it's a fact. Oh we'll, we'll do an episode on that. You're crushing all my dreams. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. All right. So next one is from Lee. Lee says, I just watched an AMC docudrama called The Making of the Mob, narrated by Ray Liotta. They described the time leading up to Frank Costello's retirement that he was seeing a shrink. They really made him out to be a feckless, weak leader who looked dumb during the hearings. Have you or Pat seen this? If so, it really seemed off the mark from the other books I've read. Because I have it seen is. it. It's Ray Liotta, and they're trying to do shock documentary. It's 
bullshit. There was nothing wrong with this guy until the day he died. Yeah, I haven't seen it. Uh, but, I mean, uh, uh, Frank Costello's reputation just speaks for itself. Of course. I mean, he was one of the organizers of what we know as organized crime. Yeah. All right. of a sudden he becomes weak and feckless? I don't think so. No, and, and not only that, I think they're trying to cross Frank Costello with Tony Soprano. <laughs> Who mm, you shrink? think so? <laughs> yeah, seeing a shrink and all that. Can you imagine Frank Costello going to a shrink? Yeah, hello. I mean, yeah, really? I can't even. Yeah, it doesn't seem doesn't seem right. All right, next one is from Joseph. Joseph says, Patrick, what was your most difficult case as an NYPD detective? How about as a private investigator? This line of work has always fascinated me. Keep up, keep up the great work with the podcast. Private investigator, we'll start with that. Uh, we guarded Yoko Ono after uh, John Lennon was killed. And that, uh, particularly at, at, the, at the beginning, because every nut uh, around came out of the woodwork. And after John got killed, she got a lot of death threats. And we actually had to paint the windows black in the Dakota apartment house, which is where wow. she lived. So uh, nobody would take shots. Central Park was across the street. Right. So that was an interesting time with an interesting case because it went on for years. As far mm -hmm. as the police department, I mean, if I had that question in advance, I could probably think of something. The, the, the short time I spent working undercover with the, the Chinese gangs was interesting. Uh, so, so many. Uh, but those two things come to mind. All right. Very good. Let's call it a night. And I uh, want to thank everybody for tuning in, obviously. Tell your friends, please. We need more subscribers. We want to go worldwide. We're getting such great guests now. We don't want to waste their time going to small households. We need 50000 right away, and we're going to build that. I'm going to work on that. Tell your friends. <laughs> God bless you all, and we'll see you next week. All right. Good night, guys. Good night. Thank you. service I could render. I'm the one who loves you only. I could be so warm, so tender. Call me. Don't be afraid. You can call me. Maybe it's late, but just call me. Tell me, and I'll be around. Or when it seems your friends desert you. Thank you for tuning in to the Hollywood Godfather podcast. You can contact Gianni Russo, Patrick Picciarelli, or myself with your questions and comments through the contact section of our website, hollywoodgodfatherpodcast.com. You can also call and leave us a message at 646-776-3038. Regarding Gianni's motivational speaking appearances, you can visit his website, giannirusso.com. You can also visit amazon.com for a listing of books Patrick Picciarelli has written. Remember to follow us on Instagram at Hollywood Godfather Podcast, as well as leave us a review on iTunes. If you'd like to know what you like about what we're doing, what you'd like to hear in the future, and anything else you might suggest to improve our podcast. Most importantly, hit the subscribe button. We'll be back next week with stories of the mob and Hollywood, as well as answers to your emails and voicemails. Good night.